are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will get back to you. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There's also a listener inquiry button there. And you can ask a question uh, that way as well. Going to start. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Good, good morning. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. And you? Excellent. Good. It's getting crowded in here. Is it getting crowded yeah. at your house? It's getting crowded in the nest. It's, they tell seem you. to be coming back. What's that? We push <laughs> them out. They return. Move over, baby boomers and, and, and Gen Xers. And they're bigger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now they can carry you. Oh, uh, true enough. Physically. <laughs> Not, uh, fi- not financially. I guess the, the the idea is really about the boomers moving out of the way, the Gen Xers getting out of the way because the millennials are coming mm-hmm. and the millennials are here. And they're actually, right now, the millennials are the largest cohort in the Canadian workforce right now. Really? There's more millennials in the workforce than there are Gen Xers or baby boomers. Hmm. And uh, so millennials are anybody that could still be just in high school, so anywhere from about age 15 right now, right up to age 36. And who they, decides on these categories? How know. do you how do you figure <laughs> this out? Fifteen to thirty six. That's um, you know, it's a generation. That's it's twenty a, years. That's right? a, that's a family reunion almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem is they're staying at home longer. Yeah. The millennials. Yeah. And uh, so, you know what? I guess the the heart the, the reality is it's harder for them to, to sort of strike out on their own. Is that what's happening? I don't know. Mm. Or are we parenting differently? Like what is going on mm. and why are the millennials Helicopter staying here? Parents. Ah, yeah. you got it. So what, uh, I think what drives, drives all this is there certainly are financial constraints. We know about that. Um, there's, they're definitely staying in school longer to be able to become employable. So that means that's stretching it out a little bit further to begin with. There's higher costs of school. So we're actually seeing some millennials now, instead of doing a four-year program over four years, they're stretching it out to six years, yeah. for example, and working more in between to be able to afford to pay it and mm-hmm. have less debt. Speaking of debt, Student loans are increasing, so more and more uh, higher debt. And, and as you leave school, unless you have a good job to leave school with, how do you get that wrestled down? Staying at home with mom and dad gives them a chance to pay it off faster. And uh, and housing costs, you know, it co- the cost to rent, especially in the GTA, yeah. whether it's renting or even buying a home as well. And it's funny, just, just a couple of weeks ago, they are talking about the cost. And, and, and what area of the government was increasing the fastest? Mm-hmm. Number one was universities. Yeah, Universities had the biggest increase over mm-hmm. the last 20 years, and it worked out to more than double the inflation rate, about two and a half always, times the yeah, inflation rate. It's always been above the rate of inflation. Yeah. So it's a tough, tough one. Yeah. And it's not, so it's not necessarily your, your kid's fault of nope. overspending. No. It's the costs are rising faster than wages. Yeah. And so something has to give, and so they're staying at home longer. Yeah, exactly. And so the other driver, we, and as you mentioned, it, is helicopter parenting. Maybe that's part of this as well. Yeah. We're really seeing this sort of overprotective micromanaging of our kids' uh, educational tracks and all of the, every part of their life as well. So I don't know. The boomerang kids, we're calling them, they sort of struck out on their own. In general, a lot we see that a lot with millennials too. They have tried to leave the nest, and then they failed, and now they've come back. So we're we're seeing those millennials boomeranging back. My they had par- that had that taste of freedom, right? My mom used to always say, "You can come back once." <laughs> ah, that's not bad. <laughs> that's it. One you yeah, one chance. <laughs> I, I had a friend that uh, once they moved out, they moved to a smaller house. <laughs> that's a way there, to do it there was Sorry. a smaller nest that couldn't fit <laughs> unless you'd like the garden shed you're out to lunch but condo is just around the corner <laughs> 
So what are some of the stats right now? Well, snug in the nest, 42.3% of young adults aged 20 to 29 uh, live with their parents. 42%? 42. 42.3% aged 20 to 29 live with their parents. This is a significant increase from 30 years ago. Sons and daughters, 63.3% of young men and 55% of young women aged 20 to 24 live with their parents. I could see that. They're still university years, probably, or college years, if they're doing their education. Boomerang kids, 25% of young adults who live in their parental home have left at some point in the past and have boomeranged back. Mm. Okay, 25%. Uh, In terms of regions, Ontario has the highest proportion of boomeranging millennials. That makes sense. 50.6% of young adults who live with their in their parental home. Saskatchewan has the lowest, 30%. Mm. What a big difference, 50% versus yeah. 30% Saskatchewan. It'd be interesting to know why that exactly They want happening. the heck who off wants the to farm. Stay in yeah. Saskatchewan? They want off the farm, man. <laughs> well, it's the problem is that they've left the nest, but they can still <clears throat> see them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're down there Ooh. by that silo that's 20 miles away. <laughs> you know, just I just want to say, Saskatchewan's on my bucket list. I have not been there. I want to go. Well, it's, it's a, a great, great place. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. So how do we help? How do we sort of solve this problem? And I think the thing is you have to have a plan and a discussion with your millennial. First thing is set a date. You know what? You got to have a target. You got to set a date out there somewhere and say, this is sort of our, it might be a moving target at some point, but if you don't start with a date, you're going to be in trouble. Um, and then you need to make a plan. And I think you have to help. So, like them. a date to get out. Exactly. Yeah. This is this wow. is this is the deadline. Here's the day you're going to get shoved out. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so, <laughs> part of the plan is you got to come up with first and last, right? Yeah. You got to first and last month's rent if you're going to obviously probably be renting. So, we've got to accumulate that. Uh, you've got to look at, look for, and understand what's an affordable rent relative to the job you've got. And then you need to be, bu- uh, really go through a budget or a cash flow analysis with them and say, what's going to cost for transportation? What's it going to cost for food? What's it going to cost for entertainment? What about clothing? All of those things that are part of their lifestyle that they have right now because they're living at home. It's usually at that point they say, I can't afford to leave. That's right. <laughs> Can we bump that date? That's right, yeah. <laughs> Extension? <laughs> Extension? Extension, please. And by the way, the place you have is a lot nicer than what I can afford. Oh, that's probably yeah. true too. <laughs> that's true. None of us started out that way though, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's five nest leaping tips. Ooh. Number one, pay off debt. So if this, if this is your millennial, uh, getting rid of that debt key, pay down any high interest debt first before it's competing with your rent or your mortgage payments. Mm. Get oh. rid of the high interest now, debt. Now, is this the parents paying off the debt? No, no, no. <laughs> so no, that no, they no. will leave? Yeah. Or is this- so you, well, you, maybe. <laughs> you need the, this set of guidelines before they come back, right? Yeah. Here's the idea. You've got to do this. As the date gets closer, yeah. <laughs> as the out of the nest date gets closer. Number two, establish a good credit history. Uh, get a credit card for small purchases and be sure to always pay the full balance by the due date. So obviously as you begin to look, you want to get first and last month's rent and you want to rent someplace, they're going to do a credit check on you. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a lousy, lousy credit risk, guess what? You're either going to, you're not going to get where you want, you're not going to live where you want to live. Number three, save for major purchases, pay cash for things like furniture and appliances. And I, you know what? I still don't, I remember when we moved out, we took all the furniture, the used furniture yeah. from relatives and yeah. the family. Yeah, there was no sure. new furniture. Exactly. I think that's I changed. still have some of that stuff. I still have some of that <laughs> stuff too. It's great. It'll <laughs> pass it on to the next. That's right. Um, number four, build an emergency fund. 
prepare for minor setbacks like home or car repairs. You never know what's going to come along. You need some cash for sure. Uh, Number five, fake it until you make it. So this is, I think this is key. So really what we're saying here is practice as if you are living out of the house Mm. right now. So if Mm. you were renting right now, if you had to pay for your transportation, if you had to pay for all your food, you had to pay for it, let's start doing that right now. And we'll just take that money aside as if you don't have it anymore. Hmm. So practice it, fake it until you make it for sure. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that this kind of leaves us in another zone where we have, uh, we are sort of in that sandwich generation where we're, it's very thinly spread yeah. uh, in terms of our capacity. We've now got millennials living at home and they're living there longer and more of them than ever before. So that's a drain on our, just, and this is happening for people typically in their fifties, right? Yeah. So now they're, they're within, they're probably within 10, five to 10 years of thinking about their own retirement. And they're trying to figure out how to, do we have enough money? Yeah. And so now they're, they're, they're trying to still support or help their millennials get, move on to their, uh, creating a lifestyle for themselves, getting out of the house. And then at the same time, guess what? Now you've likely got aging parents who are also demanding in yeah. terms of support, uh, time, and perhaps even money as well. So, so that's where the real trick becomes in. And so for Don and I, I think we can, we can give advice to millennials. We can help them get started and, and even get them uh, connected to a financial planner from our office because uh, there's, there's nothing more valuable than getting advice right from day one yeah. and, and starting up with a, a plan and some financial goals and seeing progress as you move towards accomplishing that is so key. Especially since the game is so different now than when we were kids. It I is. mean, you know, yeah. they need a unique financial plan, I would assume. I think I think so. And just the fact is that we're going to be, we're, they're relying on themselves more than ever. Yeah. You know, the, the idea of uh, Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security providing for your retirement, it's just not going to cut it. Your employers, you're probably going to be moving from one company to another company more often than ever before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so millennials definitely need help. So for those people stuck in the sandwich generation, really what they're facing now is how do I get rid of my debt that I've got because I want to retire now? Um, do I have, have I saved enough? Uh, what kind of lifestyle will I, will I have? And how long is this money going to last? Mm-hmm. And that's part of, um, for our job right now is really helping people kind of solidify those last five years before retirement and figuring out how to sort of get all your ducks lined up. And, uh, and I think that's, I think that's key. Once you have a plan in place and we can sort of keep you on, on track, it's so important and it's going to be critical to being able to retire comfortably and in the lifestyle you want for sure. Yes. And it's kind of interesting because, you know, we've talked to our clients all the time, but we, I've had recent conversations with their kids Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's nice to have, we'll we'll spend an hour. And again, Andy says, whether it's yourself or whether it's a colleague of ours, just to sit down, what a great time for them to break kind of the the norm of what they're thinking because they've gone through a whole lot of schooling. Yeah. But there's a different idea about spending money and saving money. It's just mm-hmm. a different world. Yeah. And maybe what you were taught at home was or was not the best thing. We don't know. But it, there's often, they don't even know where to start. So to sit them down, and I, I recently just did this for a couple of my daughter's friends, actually. Especially when they graduate with so much debt. Like oh, they, must, they must feel swamped. Unbelievable. And they're also, they're, they know they're supposed to save, and there's this feeling of, of anxiety. Yeah. That, what can I do? What can I do? And uh, in one case, it was simply uh, suggesting... 
why don't you get a part-time job on top of your full-time job? Yes. And that was a massive difference. That made all the difference in the world of having a life on their own mm -hmm. and making, you know, having a really good life. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, this one, uh, you know, young lady, she went out the next, uh, next week, got a job. And she called me up right away. Mm -hmm. Actually, sent me an email. They never called. But anyway, and they, <laughs> it wasn't a text because it was on her list. But uh, anyway, they, and was able to, uh, she's well on her way to accomplish her goals. And I, I, I really think that will be a big change for her going forward of that basically anything's tackable. Mm -hmm. You know, you can tackle this problem and there's a solution. And sometimes it's, you know, somebody like Annie and I are to sit down and, and figure that solution out for you. We have been planning, or we are planning, your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message, they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, along with Andy Lister and Don Fox. They are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Well, this is an interesting segment. What women want in a financial advisor. Yes. Does this mm. have something to do with suits? <laughs> Colors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not at all. These new women are savvy, they're making more money. Yeah. They are actually, interesting enough, they control 50% of the net worth of Canada. Really? Okay. And shouldn't they? And absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's probably, there's actually slightly more than 50% of the population because yeah. they live a little longer. Yeah. So it, it's kind of interesting. I actually read this, I was looking through things and I thought, you know, honestly, there shouldn't be any difference between women and men. Mm -hmm. and, I've, and I've and Andy and I've always treated them equally when we're sitting around a table with the husband and the wife, mm -hmm. wife and the husband. Doesn't matter us. I want sometimes, you know, in fact, we often get said, well, just he, he or she makes all the decisions. Yeah, yeah. Just talk to them. I said, no, no, no. Yeah. We want to make sure you're both engaged and involved because yeah. he or she may not be around yeah. and uh, sometime in the future. And you you want to be able to stand on your two own two feet when it comes to money. So it was actually interesting. Many studies in the past said that women lack confidence when investing money and feel they don't have enough cash to invest in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they don't seek advice. That was a, I'm not quite sure how old these studies were, to be honest. They've mm -hmm. just said many, this is kind of old research. Yeah. And certainly isn't what's going on now. So what they saw, so the recent study, 1,000 women um, out of California, they um, had a poll and none of them had low confidence in looking after money. Mm. None of them, not one. And only 8% of them felt frustrated by money problems. In fact, I probably would suggest more men felt frustrated by money problems. Mm. So it is, there is some differences though. And right off the get-go, I would, I would suggest one of them is longevity. Mm -hmm. Okay, they often live longer. Right. And and so you're seeing- Maybe because they're less stressed about money. Probably. <laughs> There's only 8%. Yeah. The other 92% aren't feeling any of the stress. So they do need to, and we've often said the biggest risk for investing is longevity risk. Mm -hmm. It's people retire at say 65 and they could live to 95. Mm -hmm. They're going to be 30 years without an income other than pension income, whether the government's or, or hopefully a company or money you've saved. 
and you only work maybe for 30 years, mm-hmm. or I call it 40 years. Say you worked for 40 years and you retired for 30. Well, you better do some good things in those 40 years. So women have, a, I would say, more risk because of longevity. So that, that's one. I think you just made me realize how old I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, we're in the same boat wor- here. I've been working for 30 years. <laughs> you don't realize that, that, oh, yeah, Boom. you'll only work till 40 or so years, yeah. and that'll be it anyway, yeah. And there's, some, and there's others that do work, you know, possibly a little longer now. Yeah. It's not necessarily because they uh, want, need to or want to. It's because, you know, it's often It's because they waited later to have kids like <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, as Andy said, the kids are still in the house. Yeah, so. that's true, too. <laughs> So one of the differences is uh, investing. And I've actually, there's been studies shown that women investors are actually perform better really? than men. Hmm. They tinker with the investments less. Hmm. So they're, they're not saying, oh, well, let's get out of this dog and buy that one. They're actually not trying to relate, trying to get the best return possible. Right. They're trying to accomplish life goals. More discipline. They are far better that way. Mm-hmm. We have this thing, it's almost this competitive instinct men do, mm-hmm. of saying, okay, well, if you're not beating the index, we got to move that to over this one. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? There's, there's kind of cycles with every kind of manager, and eventually the long term will work out. And that idea of changing lanes, driving down the highway all the time, I always love it when I see... Whatever sports car, it's usually some young kid. <laughs> or, or overage man, <laughs> middle-aged man. Ripping side to side, trying to find the right lane. I always reminds me of Fred, Fred Flintstone old oh, shows. Yeah. And he actually... Goggles I, Paisano. <laughs> that's the one. Exactly. Uh, Flintstone's <laughs> trivia for 100, Alex. <laughs> Thank you very much. They can't drive sideways on the highway. Yeah, wouldn't that and, be nice? And it's always kind of sound. I'm sitting there in the one lane, and I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm fairly, I'm, I'm a more aggressive driver than I probably should be, but I've finally learned just trying to stick with the lane. Yeah. And I often see this person moving all over the place, and I love passing that person. Yeah. And it feels just like investing yeah and it's been pro- proven that Tur- tortoise in the hair absolutely and it's proven that men it's called a testosterone effect is uh is is detrimental to your investments by moving your money around single men have the worst returns hmm. and married women have the best returns hmm. from studies proven in the states where the large sample size so one thing is at least if they're going to live longer they're getting higher returns <laughs> okay Mm. But they're very goal-oriented. So if you are, so one thing I would suggest, and this is not just a women issue. This should be for any, anybody out there listening. Your financial planner should be talking about your life goals. What are you trying to accomplish? It should not be trying to gear, okay, let's see what kind of return we get here. You know, the index did this. And if we move your money over to this area, it shouldn't be. There's nobody. Warren Buffett doesn't do that. He's one of the best investors in the world um, mm. and arguably the best. It's trying to find out your goals and finding a plan to meet those goals. So you're, you're, so it looks to me, when, when you're reading through this, it looks that women are often looking for a plan that they feel comfortable with because they are listening and, they are, and they're trying to accomplish their life goals. But the one thing they did say is women, possibly more than men, heavily rely on advice, mm. even though they do their own research. Yeah. So they'll be Googling just as much as the guys do and trying to find, okay, what about this and what about that? But at the end of the day, they value advice. Hmm. And to be honest, that's the perfect client for any night yeah. because 
that's the client we want to deal with. Give us a call, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask a question? <laughs> should, should I be looking for a female financial planner? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and can either of you two recommend one? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some actually very good female financial planner, funny enough. And I know that wasn't what you're trying to get at, Scott. No, but, no, no. Um, there, the, the one thing is uh, women don't really, there was no issue whether it was a woman or a man. Mm-hmm. They just wanted right. them to be in tune with what they're trying to accomplish yeah. and not try to just try to look at a lot of charts. They want to accomplish goals. And really, all those, you know, pies, et cetera, they're good tools to look at what you can do. At the end of the day, Annie and I's job is to accomplish people's goals. And that's what we work with all this hard-earned money for. Mm-hmm. So, if you've, uh, you, Andy, I'm sure you've worked with a, a, a large range. And what we're finding is a lot of our clients, unfortunately, we've been in the business over 30 years now, and some of our clients are passing away. And it's quite often, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess it depends. It's just the way it is. Men are passing often earlier than the women. Yeah. So we are left with widows. But the nice thing is we've been working with these people yeah. quite often for 10 years to as long as 25 years. Mm-hmm. In one case, it was even longer than that recently. And it wasn't... It was just, okay, I know it's a big, huge life event for this person. Felt very bad. These are f- good friends of mine after all these years. Mm-hmm. But life goes on. We, we meet within a couple of weeks of the meeting, of, of the funeral rather, and then we just carry on. Yeah. And we've got a new plan in place. Hmm. Well, it, it, what I find interesting too is a lot of times people are, if they've either now or find themselves widowed or a widower, but is is really trying to still make connections with friends and uh, and their families outside of just their local, you know, neighbors, yeah. etc. But um, you know, so I, I met with a client of mine who um, is seventy now and divorced. And, uh, and and she has lots of plans for travel, et cetera, over the next several years. She said one of the most difficult things is finding other people to travel with. Oh, yeah. And, oh. Uh, you know, so she's done the, the group thing and p- paid the single supplement, yeah. as an example. Uh, she does have a couple of, um, of girlfriends that, she will, that will travel and do travel. Uh, but she's sort of planning, I'm trying to do something at least three times a year. Yeah. And... Most of them, they'll come with me maybe once. Yeah. And so yeah. now I'm kind of stuck for that other thing. So I think, you know what? There's probably a business out there that yeah. somebody could come up with Absolutely. to yeah. try and, and better pull people together that are like-minded but want to travel and don't want to mm-hmm. do it by themselves. And uh, and yet there's opportunity, I think, somewhere to kind of pull that together. And I was, so I was thinking in the back of my mind because – in our business, we, we've got, Don probably has clients like that too. And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if there's a way even just to pull our own mm. clients together and yeah, say, really. we're going to, we're going to become cruise directors in yeah. our next, yeah. <laughs> our not? next career after this. Why not? <laughs> you're going to have, exactly. have a, little, a, a single seminar. That's right. Just a <laughs> yeah, mingle. <that's> right. <laughs> <laughs> a senior's single Sen- seminar. Senior exactly. singles. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Just for, uh, just but for traveling. But Absolutely. I think that, but the focus becomes on, um, you know, am I going to be okay? Will the money last and, and will I be able to do all the things I need to do? And then also, how do I pass this on to the next generation, mm-hmm. the grandkids and everybody else as well? Mm-hmm. So, no, it's it's a it's a interesting situation. It's part of the overall kind of life cycle, but it's uh, something that Annie and I work with on a, on a daily basis of, of these life events, mm-hmm. whether it's a new wedding, a new child, and retirement, and then, of course, a funeral. And we, when we go through all these events and then we have to change the plan along the way. So a, a plan, a, fin- a good financial plan is a living entity on its own because it, 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 it changes on, a, on an ongoing basis. 
So that would be it from a what what kind of advisor people are looking for. On a different note, I am seeing a lot of women going into business right. these days for themselves, and uh, more so than ever. Uh, I, I, and again, going with the research, it doesn't surprise me mm-hmm. because there seems to be a, a lot more confidence. They're feeling the, certainly you know high, highly educated, and they want to start their own businesses. Mm-hmm. So there's certain terms that every business owner should know. Mm-hmm. And you know what? People are talking about these terms on an ongoing basis, and we just assume everybody knows what they are. So I thought, well, why don't we actually just talk, you know, find out what they are. And one of them is gross margin. Mm-hmm. So what is a gross margin? It's the difference between your revenue, or call it sales, and the cost of your goods that you're selling. So if you sold, say, your revenue was 100000 and the costs are 25000 you had a 75% gross margin. Right. Okay. But you got to be careful with that because, you know what? It, it can. A lot of people look at just at margins. Well, I'd, I'd rather look at you know actual profit. Mm-hmm. So let's say now you know, next year you had two hundred thousand in revenue, but your your costs went up, and now your your gross margin sixty five percent. Well, if I'm as far as I'm concerned, that's still pretty good. You actually made a lot more money. Yeah. So you have to be very careful. But gross margin is kind of how much money you make on an every unit that you're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, fixed versus variable costs. Fairly straightforward there. The fixed costs are ones you're going to have regardless if you have any sales or not. Mm-hmm. So rent, uh, any kind of, uh, say, uh, land, uh, tr- property taxes, things such as that. But then other ones that change all the time is things that have, are called variable costs that are engaged, say, raw materials. Or wages, because you have to hire somebody mm-hmm. because you're you're producing more. So and so these change all the time. Um, so uh, a coffee shop, for example, a fixed cost would be rent, and the variable variable cost would be the beans and milk. Right. Okay. Uh, capital ex- expenditures. These are often no- known as capex. Well, they add value to the business. Now, a capital expenditure would be something like buying a computer or machinery. Okay. Now you cannot deduct these from your income tax. Mm-hmm. These are so you depreciate these each year. So if you're buying a major, say, uh, mach- piece of machinery, that has to be depreciated each year, and it's, right. an, it's an expense of depreciation. Versus operating expenses. Operating expenses are a little different because these are more short term. So these would be fully deductible every year. An example may be insurance costs mm-hmm. or legal fees or office supplies. Wages or something like yeah, that. Yeah, wages. Yep. Something that costs every year. They're just costs of running a business, but you're not purchasing a major item. Um, intangible assets. Here's something we hear all the time. And it's these are often things such as trademarks or brand names, patents, copyrights. They're kind of difficult to put figure out what they're worth because until you actually sell it, you don't actually know what they're worth. Mm-hmm. And so what happens, they go on your on the books of whatever you paid for them. So even though it might be a patent might be worth a million dollars, it still still shows that say it's worth only fifty thousand dollars if that's what you paid for it. Mm-hmm. You sell it, all of a sudden you end up with a million dollars of cash in your bank, and that's a different story. Uh, goodwill, that's one that's uh, everybody talks about like goodwill. It's, it's almost like your customer base. Mm-hmm. You know, if all of a sudden you were to sell the business, you would have ongoing business. They're not starting from scratch. And so you take all your all your assets that you have, and let's say it's a, a million dollar business, you sell it for a million dollars, and half of it was just machinery and tangible assets. Well, the other half would be intangible assets, and that and, and that would be goodwill. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that you would have ongoing business regardless if you're there or not. Now, some people get a little. Uh, it's kind of interesting. 
you got to be very careful with that because often it's so tied to the owner that if the owner quits, the business will find will go somewhere else. Right. And that's where you know, like Joe's a Joe's electric. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as Joe quits, are they going to go find? Are they going to still go with the new person? Yeah. You know, Jerry. Uh, okay. So again, you got to be careful with that. There would be some goodwill. I'm sure there's some that would follow to the next person, but a lot of people think the company's worth a lot more than it really is hmm. because of how much money they're making. And this is one we always hear is EBITDA. Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And this is a, a really good indicator of how the company's doing. It's an understanding of the company's profitability. This is an important value for an investment, and sorry, an investor to understand where a company stands in terms of their success. So EBITDA is one people are throwing around that acronym all the time. You hear it a lot. All the time, yeah, exactly. So it's earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So those are the seven, seven financial terms that every business owner should, women or men, and uh, that's just a, a good start. Um, you know, I, I want to start the next section. I want to talk about something, uh, and I just met with some clients of mine this week, and they are uh, retired and now in their late 70s, and um, they had redone their wills or were looking to redo their wills. And I had originally worked with them on their wills about five, six years ago, and we had incorporated trusts, the use of trusts within their will, and the rules changed this year in terms of trust being able to use trust after someone dies for income splitting purposes. So we went through a whole strategy to understand, does the trust still make sense? What about joint ownership? Uh, should we be changing our will? So when we come back, I want to talk about all that. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165, or you can check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. Are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905 529 7165. That's 905 529 7165. You can also check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And you can ask a question via their Lister inquiry button there as well. All right, we're going to talk about trusts and joint ownership. Trusts and joint ownership. So, as I was just mentioning before the break, uh, one of the one of the key planning tools we used to use for clients was setting up in their will the uh, the provision to create a spousal trust. Mm-hmm. And what this basically did was it took money. If I had money in my name and my wife had money in her name, if I die, the money that's in my name, instead of going directly to her, would go to a trust in her name, mm-hmm. a spousal trust. And then she would be the beneficiary of that trust where she would get all the income from it. And she perhaps might even get capital. She could take out capital if she wanted as well. Mm-hmm. And the purpose was that that all of the money that that trust earns would be taxed as a separate entity. Right. So if it earned forty grand a year, that forty grand was taxed over there. If she earns forty grand a year during retirement uh, after I'm gone, she gets taxed on forty grand. Two people taxed on forty grand is a lot less tax than one person tax on 80 grand. Mm -hmm. So it made sense. So of course the government and CRA thought about this and thought, well, maybe we're missing the boat here. We should be collecting more tax. So Mm. they took away the spousal trust income splitting rules. So 
you know, for the planning that Don and I have done for clients are now coming back to us and saying, Does, so do, should we be changing our will? Mm-hmm. And so a client had taken a will to their will that we did create to a lawyer. And the lawyer said, oh, this is so complicated. We shouldn't be doing this, et cetera, et cetera. And, but there are cases where, although the income splitting is gone, there are still some rationales as to why you would use a trust. And one, one key one would be, if I wanted to protect my assets in my name, that so that my wife remarries, those assets that I had will continue to my children. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to go to her, her new ex-husband right. or her new um, widowed husband if she dies and he gets the money. Right. So it would guarantee or at least protect in my mind that, that my assets will continue down through to my children. Mm-hmm. So there's still some rationale to using trusts, but it does add a layer of complexity in the sense that a tax return has to be filed for the trust every year. Someone has to be a trustee and oversee it. And all of that is fairly manageable in, in one sense. But um, uh, so now... Now the question is, so do we even need it? Maybe, maybe not. So let's say I have, um, you know, a million dollars in my name and I, and we're retired and my wife has, and so it's 500,000, sorry, 500,000 in my name and she has 500,000. And now, uh, maybe it's just better to just put it in joint ownership. So I'll add her as a joint owner to my account and her account, she'll add me. And so now when, uh, each of us dies, the right of survivorship exists and that money will roll over to my surviving spouse. Right. So the the good news is, is that you can do that. You can add your spouse as a joint owner on an account without triggering capital gains because there's considered a spousal rollover. And at death, when my uh, share goes, is, is cashed in, we can actually roll that over to my spouse and there's no taxation as well. So the main things you would do is you avoid probate tax on the money in my name. And you also avoid any sort of the legal and the the, uh, time of at death dealing with it through that point. Mm -hmm. So joint ownership comes up a lot and I get, uh, but once, once I'm gone and now it's all in her name, this is where clients come to us and say, should I add my adult child as a joint owner on this investment account or on my home or on this property? And that's where it becomes a lot more uh, tricky. Mm-hmm. And in, in, and here's a, here's a quote directly from one of our um, uh, from our trust and an estate planning department. In the absence of a clearly worded contract or trust agreement between you and your child, the end result may well be that your child and your other estate beneficiaries will spend all their time and money fighting about your intentions. And very few of the assets will remain to be enjoyed. And so we've got a quick example and I can read through. We might not get through the whole section, but we'll see how far we get. So for example, Julia has three children, Finnegan, Hazel, and Henry. And during her lifetime, Julia subsidized Finnegan's medical education and made the down payment on Hazel's house. Hmm. Julia has never made any similar gifts to Henry, who has always been a bit able to meet his own expenses. However, Julia did add Henry as joint owner to a substantial investment account that Julia controlled during her lifetime. At the time of Julia's death, the investment account was worth $95,000. And after all her debts and taxes are paid, her estate assets, excluding the investment account, are worth $600,000. So Julia's will divides her estate in three equal shares between Finnegan, Hazel, and Henry. So the question is, how much should each child receive? Hmm. Okay. 
And so what the courts will presume, the courts will presume that when Julia added Henry as the joint owner on that investment account, is that she intended to create something called a resulting trust, meaning that Henry will have to split the investment account in equal shares with his uh, siblings, Finnegan and Hazel, in addition to splitting the rest of Julia's estate. Thus, each of Finnegan, Hazel, and Henry will receive one-third of $695,000, But if Henry can prove that on the balance of probabilities that Julia intended a gift when she added Henry as joint owner, then Finnegan and Hazel will each receive $200,000. Henry will receive $295,000. So... This is the so if Julia wanted to be certain that on her death Henry would get that ninety five thousand right. dollars and the six hundred thousand would be split between the three of them, she should have signed a contract with Henry that stated what her intentions were, and they should have behaved consistently from an income tax perspective with respect to that contract thereafter. So we're seeing this is a is a real problematic area. Uh, you need to seek advice before you add joint ownership. Don't just walk into your bank branch or your trust company and then just, oh, I'm going to add so-and-so to my bank account. Get some proper advice before you do it and make sure at, at least you've written your instructions out clearly so that people know exactly what you meant. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. All right, are we talking music here? Grateful Dad, what is this all about? Well... It is. What day is it in three days from now, Scott? Halloween? You got it. There you go. You got it. You nailed it. And when I say Grateful Dead, we're not talking about the band. No? Grateful Dead, no. We're talking about the, call it the beneficiaries of an estate. Hmm. (laughs) 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 Nice. (laughs) A different twist on Grateful Dead. All right. And these are the top 13. Oh, Money earners that are no longer with us. With us right now. Wow. And there's a couple close calls right off the get go. Some that you might have thought would make the list. (laughs) Frank Sinatra didn't make the list. Didn't make it. What? Bruce Lee. Yeah. Uh, Joan Rivers. They have in the past, though, I'm guessing. Some of these did. Yeah, absolutely. George Hamilton was right on the. Sorry, George Harrison was right on the bubble. Right. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Mm -hmm. Johnny Cash, or Kurt Cobain. Cobain. Yeah. I remember he was like number one one year. Yeah. Yes. Johnny Cash didn't make it? No, didn't make it this year. Wow. Interesting. So this is the top 13. Now, some that did. Now, you got to say, there's a, there's certainly... It depends if you have a box set out or not. <laughs> if, if somebody exactly. in your estate has released a box set, it's a good year. been released in vinyl. Yeah, exactly. It's a good year. <laughs> and, this, this, you know, you're seeing a bit of a similarity between these. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, you know, you're looking at a lot of singers. Yeah. A couple actors. Mm-hmm. A comedian in there. But number 13. You Now, you're in a NASCAR. Yes. Well, I think this guy... Might have been in a NASCAR. Dale Earnhardt Sr.? No. No, he thought he was, but he really wasn't. James Dean. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) He's still on the list? He is number 13. Really? He made $8.5 million last year. How? Through 
licensing his brand, yeah, kind of that T-shirts. image to Jockey, yeah, and Dolis Gobana, yeah, okay, and he's even got a James Dean bar in Prague. Yeah, wow, unbelievable. Yeah. Number twelve, staying with that kind of NASCAR car racing, you might get this one. Actor Steve McQueen. Oh right, yeah, Bullet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nine million he made last year. Really? Nine million dollars. And first of all, James Dean, he he died back in 1955. Yeah, he only had a couple of movies. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But that image was, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, Steve McQueen died in 1980. Yeah, and he's still licensing his name to uh, clothing lines. Yeah, Ted watches. Yeah, yeah. Okay, got a Porsche. Yeah, and. Uh, so he's, and he unfortunately died uh, from complications from surgery back when he was 50 years old. Yeah, he died young. Yeah, very young. <laughs> uh, number 11. This one, I wouldn't recognize his name, but he made $9.5 million, died in 1991. Theodore Gazelle. Dr. Seuss. You got it. Ah, very good. Very good. Go. Man. Yes. <laughs> I know lots of useless information. <laughs> <laughs> And I could have spelled, I may have pronounced his last name. No, I, I, I recognize the name, yeah. But uh, yes, he's uh, he's making more than ever. Um, he made nine and a half million see, also. See, that I could see. I, I, yes. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Books I, keep on rolling. Exactly. Books are <clears throat> merchandise. He, uh, Universal Studios now, they have a bunch of rides now. Yeah. And he's licensing all yeah. that. And his beneficiaries of the estate are getting, got nine and a half million dollars last year. That's a lot of green eggs yeah. and ham. Now, one I never even really heard of. Um, possibly a little bit behind before my time, but I guess it was a big deal at one time, was Betty Page. Oh, pinup girl. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yes. How much did she make? Uh, $10 million. Really? Yes. <laughs> and they now have a Vegas show of a hologram striptease. There you go. Of her. That'll do it. And uh, she's making 10 million, or beneficiary making $10 million last year. Wow. So mm. if, if you're trying to get any ideas, this isn't going to perhaps help your own retirement. No. But- your kids or grandkids could be quite happy. <laughs> um, number nine, unfortunately, uh, pretty tragic and recent, and going back with the car theme, Furious 7. Mm. Oh. Um, Paul Walker. Yeah. Yeah, made $10.5 million last year mm-hmm. off his movie. Furious yeah, he had, a movie, he had a movie come out. Yeah, yeah. and he died uh, uh, back in uh, November 30th, 2013. Yeah. Made $10.5 million. Now, this one I thought was unique. He won't make that next year. No, that was a kind of a one-off. Yeah. Yeah, and someone, one of those uh, close call ones will jump back on the list. Yeah. But uh, one that was kind of unique, I thought, was, and probably this is one of the few times that brains actually sold more than entertainment. Mm-hmm. Albert Einstein. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he made $11 million last year licensing merchandise and posters and, get this, nerd apparel. Yeah. People love, nerd like apparel. you look at yeah, uh, nerd, that nerds are Big king. Bang Theory. Big Bang yeah, Theory, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All those t-shirts, they're going crazy now. Yeah. He made $11 million or yeah. his state did. Geeks Unite. You got it. Um, number seven, no surprise here. And I thought uh, I thought it actually might have been a little higher up on the list. Um, Ex-Beatle. Yeah. And uh, where George Harrison didn't quite make the list, John Lennon did. He yeah. made $12 million. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he... But where he's making his money from, his big number, his big list is Cirque du Soleil. Oh, under right. that love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, quickly going through the list, Marilyn Monroe yeah. made $17 million licensing for clothing and lingerie items. Back, died in 1962, 54 years ago. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Taylor, not far from behind mm-hmm. from that one, $20 million. 
she made on a fragrance business still, yeah. mm. White Diamonds. Mm. Still selling that one. Wow. <laughs> now, this one here, um, if you've been to Jamaica recently, you st- certainly know that this guy is pretty popular. Bob Marley. Yeah. 1981, yeah. mm-hmm. he died. He made $21 million last year. Wow. Yeah. He's got this beverage, new beverage out. It's called... Uh, a relaxation drink. Yeah. <laughs> Marley's Mellow Mead. I wonder what's yeah. in that. Number three was, yeah, no kidding. I'm not <laughs> sure about that one. Uh, Charlie, uh, Charles Schwartz, Schultz rather. Schultz, yeah. Uh, made $40 million. $40 million bucks for $40 million. For and he just had a 3D movie. There was movie a movie, out. right? That's yeah. why. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Peanuts right. movie. And Elvis Presley. Yeah. Made $55 million. And number one was Michael Jackson, $115 million last year. And one of his biggest ones, again, Circuit Soleil um, from In the Vegas Show. Who will be on it next year? Do you know? Who can you Ooh. think of right on? Prince. You're right. Oh, on it next yeah. year. You're right. He yeah. didn't make it this time. That's right. So have a happy Halloween, everyone. All right. All right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. And you can reach them at 905-529-7165. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Thank Scott. You. Happy have Halloween, a spooky everyone. spooky Halloween. <laughs> okay.